Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. everybody and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. And today on the Coffeehouse we have something quite different and very exciting. Uh, today we're joined by a classical clarinet and guitar duo called Jaca. Jaca is a duo made up of clarinetist Wesley Ferreira and guitarist Jackson Williams. Uh, their refreshingly original repertoire consists of new arrangements, compositions, and commissions that highlight the influences and mixing of many cultures and musical traditions worldwide. With a versatility uncommon to chamber music, their music regularly engages, inspires, and surprises audiences. It's classical music, but you wouldn't believe it, because their music is animated by socially conscious themes, constantly looking for ways to promote multiculturalism, commission new music, and help underserved musical communities worldwide. And we're excited to have them on the show today. Wesley Ferreira and Jackson Williams, welcome to the Coffee House. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks. Super excited to be here. So if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us what your backgrounds are before we jump into our questions, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah, great. You know, we're... Um... Uh, classical clarinet and guitar duo uh, that we started in 2012 uh, playing together and you know we have a mission to um, perform engaging concerts for audiences but also then to as we say take cultures or the music of different cultures and make that kind of a prominent part of what we do with our ensemble. Yeah, both of us have had uh, extensive classical training. So we come from a classical background when all is said and done. Um, we both have, we both got our doctorates in classical performance. Um, but what we're looking to do with this duo, which we're super excited about, and we've been doing for a long time, is just kind of blaze new trails in the repertoire. It's a unique ensemble already to begin with. And we're really trying to, whether it's making new arrangements, new commissions, even composing, um, just trying to kind of create a space for guitar and clarinet in the chamber music world. Well, that's excellent. And so to convince our little listeners a little bit more about how amazing your duo is, um, can you tell us a little bit more too about how you formed up? Yeah, well, it's actually an interesting story. It's kind of a funny story too. So in 2012, I was set to record a new album and I was uh, at the time in Colorado. I teach at Colorado State University and I uh, was uh, had everything arranged in Arizona to record uh, a brand new piece that I'd commissioned with the guitar professor at Arizona State University. Well, days before my trip, he wrote to me saying that he sustained a major uh, hand injury. Now, I was all set to travel home hotel booked, studio booked, flights booked. Uh, so this was, and this was the last piece I needed to record. So it was a major setback, but then he told me uh, that he was going to have a replacement. It was going to be his best student replacing uh, him. <laughs> so, uh, you know, at this point, you know, Jackson, what were you thinking? Well, 
my story was a lot different because it was like I was just wandering around <laughs> oblivious to all this. And then, you know, little do I know, I get a call from my professor. And when you get a call from your professor, you it's usually not necessarily good news. It usually means more work. So I was like, oh, boy, we got a big one coming here. So I, I pick up the phone and see what this is. And he calls me. And then he starts uh, telling me what happens and, and what this is for. And I got super excited. Uh, I was like, wow, this is amazing. We got this this big shot clarinetist coming in. I'm going to be able to record on an album that's going to be on a label. This is really cool stuff. And then he told me when it was time to record it and that it was like a, a new commission. And I was like, whoa, that's very soon. So I just basically had to eat, sleep, breathe, just live that music to try to absorb it. I remember, like, I still have snapshots in my head of biking to class with headphones in and whether it's like listening to the midi version of the composition from the composer or like listening to my own like practice session of it i remember sitting in class whenever we were supposed to be you know in music theory analyzing something and i'm actually <laughs> over here like studying the score to the music kind of rehearsing in my head because it was like that down to the wire but uh you know i put it together and i remember our first rehearsal um I'm actually curious to know what your impression of was of our first rehearsal, Wesley. But I remember feeling like we got there and we just like synced yeah. up so fast. And I remember thinking, this is not how rehearsals normally have gone for me. So this is great. No, that's exactly right. Like, I didn't know what to expect. And you're always a little bit nervous when you're playing with a musician for the first time. You just you, you really just don't know, you know, the level of preparedness. Especially when you just hear it's a replacement and a student. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but but Jackson, you're right. We got together and right away things just clicked. Like um just our sense of timing, our approach to sound, our uh sense of expression, it all really came together. And really it was from that moment on that I think we had the bug that, you know, this this is a kind of a special collaboration that we have here. We should turn this into something big. And eventually we did. And so, you know, really ever since that moment that we decided, you know, we'd love to to form a group together um from there it's actually and it continues to be constant surprises of how well we work together how uh how our goals align how our uh level of um detail and organization is really um aligned and it, it makes it a joy it makes it um fun to play and it makes it easy and i think uh, you know that those are some of the great hopefully that comes across in our music but um you know, we, we take all aspects of this group seriously, and it's uh, just been so fun. So we're actually going to have two episodes with Jaka on. Uh, in this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about what their duo is, what they're doing um, for the music world today, and then spend a little bit of time talking about how the global pandemic has affected classical and chamber musicians and how they are working. And then second, come back in two weeks from now, because we're going to have another episode all about the music itself, about commissions, about chamber music, and what it's like to play in such an unorthodox duo. So, Dr. Ferreira, something you mentioned is that you two share common goals. And one of those, a, a big goal that JACA has stated on your website is the JACA Cultural Exchange Program. This program is involved in donating funding to the underprivileged music programs and to help enrich the culture of a given area. So how important do you feel that music is to cultural development in a community? You know, music is such um, an important part of life. Uh, I think for those musicians and artists that 
you know, understand this, they know exactly uh, what I mean. And so, you know, every single uh, culture, every single um, subculture is going to have music and art as a form of expression. You know, what we decided early on with Jaca is that we wanted our music to, to have meaning. And so, we came up with the Jaca Cultural Exchange Program that really is our way of showing that music has meaning. We're fortunate to travel uh, around the world and also um, around the country performing in different locales and different cities and towns, getting to meet all different types of people. And what we found is that in every location, it has its own little culture. It has its own flavor. And so what we want to do is that we want to share that with our audiences. So for each performance location, we want to get a sense of the, of the flavor and the culture. What we do is try to identify uh, some of those really nice aspects and, and try to bring something from that area into our, to our next audience. So sometimes that's a piece of uh, art that they can uh, collect. Sometimes that's kind of a flavors like food. Um, so what we do then is at every concert, usually during intermission, or or post-concert, of course, we have that available on our website, jacamusic.com, is that 100% of the proceeds from those items will we then donate to the Jaca Cultural Exchange Program, in short, JSEP. And every season, we identify a um, arts organization, musical organization that could use some help, and then we donate those funds to that organization. So how do you actually go about picking those programs? I mean, a program that needs help could mean anything from, a, you know, my high school music program who didn't have enough money to buy more sousaphones to somewhere else. So so, so where does where does that decision come from? So obviously uh, an underserved or underprivileged music program, there is uh, more of those than we could even <laughs> imagine. Right. <laughs> and in some ways, every music program is underserved and underprivileged. Uh, because music is the first thing to get cut, uh, especially regarding education. So one of the things we do is we try to focus on giving back to some of the communities that we specifically visited. So, you know, Wesley just talked about how we're able to go from one place to the next. And, you know, as as was mentioned here, music is, I think, inextricably tied to culture. It's a part of culture. It's deeply rooted in culture. And so through music, we get to really experience cultures in a unique way. Uh, whether we're, you know, we've uh, just, I guess, pre-pandemic, we had just recently been to the Azores in Portugal. We had been to Ecuador, uh, and then we'd been to all sorts of different places around the U.S. as well. And we got a real interesting chance to meet people, to to learn about culture in a, in a very deep way. And so then you go and you learn, You let's say we get some coffee beans from Ecuador, for example, and we take those back and we're selling them at a concert. The proceeds go to benefit somebody. Well, we kind of feel like we want to give back to that community that we visited. So, uh, you know, this year we decided for, since we had been to Ecuador, we'd brought these coffee beans back. Let's give back to that community. And specifically, we chose this festival, the Loja Music, International Musical Music Festival in Loja. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of the cultural musical capital of Ecuador. And they have a really awesome, not only just festival, but they also have a really nice educational arm that helps benefit community members, music students, uh, whether they're young or old, and they're lacking some music equipment. So we thought this is kind of an ecosystem of you know cultural exchange. Let's bring some of the financial exchange back so that 
for example, some coffee beans that came from this community can kind of be rein- reinvested into the community in the form of musical equipment. And so like everything sort of <laughs> creates a cycle, which I thought is would be really nice. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Looking at your website with the merchandise, there is such a variety of different things. And you can tell that they are very regional from these different places that you've been going to. How did you first really come up with that idea? I mean, a musical group selling those sorts of products just really isn't common, in my opinion. So how did we first come up with that? Well, you know, we've we've, we've been thinking a lot about this ensemble in terms of our music making, but also in terms of ways of connecting uh, what we do to a wider audience, meaning meaning the public. So, you know, of course, when we're performing, the focus is on the audience and how can we uh, bring them joy? How can we enrich their lives in that moment? But there's also so much more that we can do as musicians. And so, you know, this idea really came up because, uh, you know, I... I come from a Portuguese heritage. My, my parents are both Portuguese. Jackson and I had this real connection in that his wife is Spanish, and he spent uh, much time living in Spain and frequents, uh, frequently goes back. And so we had this real connection to uh, a culture that wasn't the one we were, that we live in. And that got us just talking about culture and the beauty of culture and how sometimes uh, other cultures can be scary but about how when we're performing music, we're often uh, performing music that has historically been a blend of different influences and different cultures. And we wanted to take that uh, from the concert stage and take that off stage as well to show um, how the beauty of different cultures and how sometimes understanding another culture makes all the difference, whether it's accepting them into your life, but also appreciating them. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that for a second because Jaka also invests significant time and effort into commissions of multicultural music. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of commission in uh, next episode, but how does commissioning and performing such a wide variety of repertoire actually help that permission to promote understanding and appreciation? So I think uh, first and foremost, uh, just kind of piggybacking off what Wesley had said, so uh, there's the understanding of other cultures, cultures that aren't your own, but and that's often reflected in music. We don't even realize how how often cultures and the musical traditions of other cultures sort of combine. And if we can sort of highlight that, that's one really cool thing. But then I think beyond that, it's for us has always been a lot about relating to our current society and how can we create, how can we kind of match or identify with our current society and. You know, Wesley and I both feel like we are reflections of a more modern global society in that we have our own multicultural lives, which is, and I think the distinction between multicultural and uh, maybe many cultures would be an interesting concept because multicultural to me implies sort of the mixing of cultures. Um, And that's where you get something new and something uh, really kind of unique, interesting, fascinating. And we wanted to keep doing that both musically and kind of reflecting what's in our own lives. So I feel like the music that we play or that we arrange or that we commission or that we even compose is reflecting sort of that modern arm of multiculturalism where, you know, you're creating new mixes, new things even now in society 
And if we can create positivity around that instead of some negative framing that you also hear of, you know, let's stay away from other cultures. Um, we kind of say, let's embrace other cultures. Let's mix together. Let's create new, let's do new things. And not only do we want to say that musically, but we want that message to come across in every aspect of life, just as, as culture moves beyond music to every aspect of life too. Yeah. And we've moved that forward in that we've, uh, for a few years now have a project called imaginary boundaries and what that project is, is that we are actively looking for composers who, like us, uh, live in one culture but have the influences of other cultures. And just like Jackson mentioned in terms of music, you know, historically and presently, you know, having these influences from whether it's different cultures or different ideas, in this Imaginary Boundaries project, we are commissioning composers to uh, write uh, in a way that reflects their own blending of cultures as well. So that's something that's really exciting for us. We feel like that's kind of a unique look right now in terms of the classical music field and, uh, you know, it has become a part of our identity. You've talked a lot about traveling to perform in these wonderful places and mixing those cultures, but obviously we can't do that traveling right now. So how have we been fulfilling that mission? How has Jaka been able to do performances and embrace your multicultural missions? You know, we've been fortunate um, through this time to uh, find outlets to uh, to be performing, to to con continue to connect with audiences. You know, in the fall, we had uh, a concert that was supposed to have been uh, live in person in California. We work with that art series to be able to offer a virtual concert. We spend quite a lot of time planning and thinking about it. We were able to offer, you know, uh, a, a really well-produced concert with a lot of audience interaction, both beyond the screen, but also uh, connecting uh, through social media and, and virtually. Um, that We were really happy to do that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, the pandemic has obviously stripped away the vast majority of everyone's performances. <laughs> and really all you can do <laughs> is, is do a virtual performance of some kind. And what we've tried to do is find a way to make the virtual performance as close as possible to that awesome live experience because we all know and we still have fresh in our minds hopefully the bu that buzz of coming from a great concert where you were either inspired or you just had a really great time or something and the musicians feel that too you know so we whether we're there as audience members or whether we're playing we want to we want to feel that buzz and it's it's really difficult to emulate in a virtual setting and i think uh we really tried to focus, like Wesley said, on interaction. So um, we 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 have some fun ways. We were interacting with people through the chat. We even allowed them to sort of contribute to uh, voting on what we're going to play next. Or uh, we did an improvisation segment where we kind of let them give us cues for improvisation. We did some that's really some fun. giveaways because we just want to make so that the, also the audience feels like they're together on something too. So we're really about that experience, no matter what. Have you considered um, taking a concert like that, an interactive concert, to a, a more mainstream streaming platform such as Twitch or YouTube? Uh, we've looked into it. In fact, we're going to play around with it on our next trip, um, doing a little bit more live streaming on a bigger platform. Uh, not unlike, it might even be Twitch, actually. So we're going to give it a try. It's hard because there you have to build an audience sort of from scratch, but there are ways, you know, if you're doing something different. 
Yeah, and we have a, a concert coming up, a virtual concert coming up in February that uh, we'll be performing, uh, hosted by the University of Northern Florida. But actually, you know, if if listeners want to tune in, the best thing they can do is subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, so youtube.com backslash uh, follow Jaca, and they're going to get a notification of that live virtual concert that we're going to be performing. Um, so we're excited to be presenting uh, that uh, through through YouTube, which we have some experience uh, doing. We're also going to be playing around with more um, live streaming via Instagram. So that's another place people could follow us on. Again, it's just follow Jaka. But those are two spots we'll we'll be doing a lot more live streaming on, whether it's concert or other. But uh, we're definitely looking to sort of explore what kind of interaction you can have on the virtual platform while this is, you know, the only stage there is. Have you found that other performers have been kind of following in these same sort of steps of doing a lot of virtual performances and trying to interact with their audiences that way? Is that kind of what you've seen other people doing as well? To be honest, in the classical sector, I have not seen the interactive side, uh, maybe at all. To be honest, I'm sure somebody else is doing it. Um, but I think the there's a very, I don't know, there's a sort of a serious legacy of, of how you're supposed to act on stage in a classical music setting. And uh, we're, all, we're always trying to push that limit with the audience live. And so I think it just came naturally to us to do some more fun, interactive kind of stuff that maybe seems more like it's from a pop world or you know something that like a singer-songwriter kind of group would think of doing immediately. But... Uh, classical players are not doing it as much, although I think it's needed to get some kind of a sense of community. So the more we do of it, the more we like it. Yeah, <laughs> and without a doubt, this is a, a big time for, for creativity, right? Uh, I think this this pandemic has made a lot of us, I think, in the arts re- reflect on um, our mission and our goals and what, and what we want to project and how we want to connect with our audiences. And I, I do know that there's, I think, a lot of thinking and creativity and experimentation happening. And I, I think we're one part of that. Do you think this um, could be kind of a seminal moment for the classical music industry in the same way that video chatting and virtual meetings are becoming kind of the norm? Do you think that virtual concerts could slowly start to take over um, and we might see people failing to adapt to that? I think that there will be more acceptance. First, I'll say this. I think I think all of us are looking forward to the time when we can be in a hall together listening to live music through our ears instead of through uh, headphones or speakers or anything like that. But I do think that this, what this has done is created the space for uh, organizations and uh, large and small individual groups, soloists, to um, uh, have give greater accessibility uh, to a wider audience. Obviously, um, if you're performing in a city, there's not the opportunity for people who don't live in that locale to to access your concerts. But I think this has given real permission and uh, also given people, you know, that spark uh, in terms of being able to access music from around the world. I I, I feel like that's a positive aspect to it. I think we're going to see a mix. I think, you know, music is best enjoyed live. Uh, You have that real human interaction. I think we're all clamoring for that to return, but I do think this will inevitably lead to uh you know other other things happening 
acceptance yeah. of other yeah. things. I don't think I don't see the two as mutually exclusive, um, like, you know, in-person concerts versus online. So I don't know that they're going to like take each other's share of the concert industry. But I see it as an opening up uh, of especially of opening up of the mind towards like, hey, a virtual concert could be a cool thing. I, I would be OK with that. And uh, I remember talking to people even just a few years ago about the idea of learning classical music online and people were so super opposed to it. And I think the mind has opened to that as well. And so if nothing more, I think we'll open our minds to, oh, maybe I'll do a virtual concert this day. And, you know, this next weekend I want to go out and I'm going to go to a real concert and it'll just be hopefully more concerts, which I would be, I would be I'd, I'd love. Yeah, that's right. We would love that too, I think. Yeah, definitely. So again, thank you so much for being here on our on our Coffee House Classical Podcast this week. And of course, we'll be hearing from you again in two weeks. But if people want to find more of you, I know you've already talked about your YouTube and your Instagram, but where can everybody find Jaka? Yeah, you can find us uh, online. Our website is uh, jacamusic.com, so J-A-C-A music.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, backslash follow Jaka, Instagram, backslash or follow Jaka as our uh, user names, and then, of course, our YouTube channel where you can find us. Myspace.com uh, slash follow Jaka. Right. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Do you have a GeoCities page? Uh, let me check my, my Zoom to see if it's if I can remember the link. <laughs> Well, thank you very much to both of you for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure learning about your uh, learning about your group and what you do. The pleasure was all Thanks ours. Thanks for having us. And if you listeners enjoyed what you heard, be sure you tune into next two weeks episode uh, where we talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of performing in a chamber music or, or chamber music ensemble like Jaka and about commissioning pieces of music. And if you've enjoyed what we're what we've done today, please go ahead and give us a follow on the platform that you're listening to, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, or elsewhere. And do share us with a like-minded friend and share Jaka with somebody who you think would get uh, get as much enjoyment as we did out of it. So for the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. I'm Allison. I'm Jackson. I'm Wesley. Thank you so much for listening. Paco Cortez's Sivilanis and Rodrigo Gabriela's Tamakun were arranged and performed by Jaca. You can find the Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>